Oh God, we sing that. It's our heart. It's, it's, it's what we want. We want to be more like Jesus. Not robots. We want to be the real thing on earth. His voice, his love, his life, his compassion. One last time, with that theme, we gather. Let the teaching this morning be crystal clear. We humbly pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. God bless you. The students of a university were protesting, and one of the placards read, Jesus, yes, church, no. I want to ask you something. Is that the choice? Is, is that the choice we face? Jesus, yes, church, no. I need to tell you, I've been doing a lot of ruminating, a lot of brooding over the church lately. And by the way, I'm not talking about this church or that church. I'm talking about the church. And I've especially been drawn into this reflection, having spent all of last week in Maryland sitting on something called the Theology of Ordination Study Committee. The task, we call this the task. The task meetings last week were as intense as any I've attended. There was an earnestness on a part of the 104 leaders from all over the world in the Seventh-day Adventist Church who gathered in that hotel in Maryland to continue to discuss the, the topic assigned to us, the role of women in gospel ministry and the consideration of their ordination to that gospel ministry. Can we be faithful to Holy Scripture and recognize their divine calling by ordination? That's the question that has driven us for three weeks over 12 months, three separate weeks over 12 months. But in all candor, I am concerned for this church that I love dearly. For I fear that if we are not careful, the very act of deciding could irreparably divide us. And so with a whole lot of back room and hallway conversations echoing in my mind, I came back this last Sunday. Dwight, do you have a conviction on this subject? Glad you asked. Yes, I do. I do. You already know what that conviction is. In fact, I was asked at this particular meeting to, read, to write and read a paper. Pastoral perspectives on the biblical evidence that has been presented germane to coming to a decision. But I have an even greater concern for the church I love, and that is the preservation of its unity. Because you see, I believe in the church. I have been born and bred in the bosom of the church. I have pledged my life to defend the church, to uphold and preserve her until Christ shall come for her. The church does not need me. You and I need the church. I believe in the church. I believe the church is indeed impregnable. And that's why our little teaching today is entitled The Impregnable Gift. I want to cut to the chase. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. Red-letter words are going to focus our minds this morning, the few moments we have left. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Open your Bible. You didn't bring a Bible? Pull the pew Bible out. You'd, you'd, you'd prefer to use your tablet, your phone? Fine. Let's just go. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. I'm in the NIV, the New International Version. Matthew chapter 16. Red letters. Here we go. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 13. 
Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that'd be up in Lebanon today, right up there in Lebanon today. When he came to that region, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded weeks ago. They think he's come back to life. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. There's, a, there's an ancient prophecy that says Elijah comes back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Ah, but Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, boom. He answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Oh, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then, verse 20, he ordered his disciples, Shh! not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. One more line, verse 21. From that time, you see, Jesus could not get to verse 21 until he has had this exchange. He has to know, do you know, do you understand who I am? Once it's clear that they're clear. Now, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But first, I want to know, who do you think I am? And when they tell him, tucked away in his response to their response is a dramatic portrayal of the church that I hope you will never forget for the rest of your life. Read verse 18 again. Red letter words, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The impregnable gift, there it is. And in that single declaration, Jesus answers four defining questions that reveal how impregnable the church really is. Four questions. I wish you'd write the questions down. Let's write the questions down right now. Pull out your study guide, please. It's in your worship bulletin. Pull it out. You didn't get a worship bulletin when you came in. Hold your hand up. We've got friendly us ushers here who are especially friendly when it's winter. They're coming your way. Hold your hand up because you're going to want this study guide. Trust me. Up in the balcony, in the back, in the front. Hold your hand up. They're coming your way. And while they're coming to you, let me just say to those of you watching on live streaming right now, we hope the weather's better where you are than where we are, but we're glad you're here. You're watching on television or live streaming. Let me put the, our website on the screen for you, and then you can get the same study guide. There it is on the screen right now, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for a little mini-series that comes to an end right now, How to Be More Like Jesus, and you're looking for part three. Part one was The Impossible Dream. Part two, The Implausible Prayer. Part three, The Impregnable Gift. When you come to that one, click on there and says study guide. Click there. You will have the same study guide. All right, let's go. Four defining questions that reveal how impregnable the church really is. Question number one, who is the leader? Write that in. Who is the leader of the church? Because there's been some confusion who the rock is that Jesus built his church upon. Is it Peter? Is it Jesus? Is it the teachings of Christ? Matthew, this, is, this was amazing to, to discover. Matthew is the only gospel writer that even uses the word church. It appears not in Mark, not in Luke, not in John, three times in Matthew. So he's big. He's big on unpacking this teaching of the church. 
And so that's why when he has Jesus respond to Peter, he embeds a play on words in those red letters. You can't get it in the English. He embeds this play on words because he's trying to tell us something about who the real leader is. Watch this. Uh, fill it in in your, in, in your study guide, please. Jesus blessed Simon with these words. We just read them. You are Peter. Now hit the pause button right there. That's Petras. That means a small stone, right in the word stone. You are Petras. You are a small stone. Okay? That's what the Greek word means. And on this rock, now, you, you can only see this in the Greek, on this rock, Petra. That means a towering rock ledge. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter is absolutely unconfused about who the leader of the church is. In fact, Peter, when he's on trial in Acts, Acts chapter 4, he will speak these words, jot them down. Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. That's Peter speaking, uh, being cross-examined. No other name under heaven but the name of Jesus, whereby we must be saved. Peter is absolutely clear. In fact, do you know what? The human leader of the church in Acts is James, not Peter. It never was Peter. There's no question. There's no question. In fact, the Scriptures talk about the rock a lot. Let me just fire these by. Boom, 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 boom. Jot them down. You're gonna, just a little clue. The answer is going to be the same every time. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. The Lord is the rock. Would you write that down? Use a capital R, please. The Lord is the rock. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock. Psalm 95, verse 1. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And then Paul comes along, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the spiritual rock. And by the way, the Greek word he uses there is Petra, the very word Jesus used, the huge rock. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 10, for the spiritual rock that accompanied the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings was Christ himself. So when Jesus said, hey, 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 Peter, Peter, you are Peter, a small stone, but on this big rock, I will build my church. In fact, Jesus kind of gives a hint to this, Matthew does, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember, he spoke these words. What is this? Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. The wise man built his house upon the... What's the answer? He used to sing it in Sabbath school. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Paul comes along, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, No one can lay any foundation other than Christ Jesus. So, question number one. Who is the leader of the church? Put it down. The leader of the church is Christ. Question number two, who is the builder of the church? Matthew 16, 18, what did Jesus say? I will build my church. There's the answer. Christ is the builder of the church. There are only four of these. Question number three, who is the owner of the church? Matthew 16, 18 again. I will build my church. He possesses the church because he bought it. What currency did he use? This may be the most significant line about the church in all of Scripture. Acts 20, Paul, speaking to a, a board of elders. I'm going to meet with the elders this afternoon. Paul, speaking to a board of elders. Acts 20, verse 28, I want you to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought. He bought the church with his own blood. Wow. Calvary was Christ's purchase price to possess and own my church. Jot it down. Who is the owner of the church? Christ is the owner of the church. He bought it. And final question, number four, who is the conqueror of the church? Matthew 16, 18. Again, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. Matthew 16, 18. 
Actually, and this, this is fascinating, jot this down, will you? Actually, what Jesus is describing here is not a defensive stance where the church is trying to fend off the forces of hell. Rather, Jesus describes an offensive stance. Write that down. Most people don't catch this. Jesus is describing an offensive stance where hell is trying to fend off the forces of the church. People think that the hell attacks the church. No, in, in, in God's economy, the church attacks hell. And by the way, the church goes for the gates. Because in the ancient times, if you wanted to gut a city, you have to take the gates. Once you get the gates, you've got the city. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. My church. Christ is the conqueror of the church. The church wins in the end. Look at it. I love this. Revelation 19, verse 16, and on Christ's robe, when he's returning, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the conqueror. Who's the conqueror of the church? Write it down. Christ. Keep your pen moving. Four defining questions that declare the church of Christ to be impregnable. Write that word in. Notice the spelling. Impregnable. What does impregnable be, mean? Well, what's it say in the study guide? A fortified position unable to be captured. You can't take it down. It's impregnable. That's the church. Wow. So surely, come on, we could, we could conclude right now that since Jesus Christ is the leader and the builder and the owner and the conqueror of the church, the church is the very precious possession of Almighty God Himself. It's His church. I love these words. A hundred years ago, these words were written. Jot it down, will you? Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense His supreme, His supreme. Do you know how, do you know how high supreme is? Supreme means there's nothing higher. You can't get over supreme. <laughs> supreme is it. His supreme regard, one object on earth. And what's the object? The church. Well, God is very big on the church. And the church is a very big deal to God. So I'm in my library this last week. I said, look, where's that book from? by Richard John Newhouse, the late Richard John Newhouse, brilliant mind, one of the great writers of the 20th century. I finally find the book, title of the book, Freedom from Ministry, A Critical Affirmation of the Church and Its Mission. Richard John Newhouse concurs with that quotation from a century ago. Let me, let, me, let me put the words on the screen here. We must be sure it is the church, Newhouse writing, we must be sure it is the church we are talking about, the church in all its thus and so-ness, in all its contradictions and compromises, in its circus of superficiality. Oh, boy, is that the church at times. I mean, we're talking superficiality. It's a circus around this place at times. In its circus of superficiality, and then I love this, and its moments of splendor. Wow. There are times when the church just is resplendent in its representation of Christ on earth. The church, enfeebled and defective though it appears to be, is the one object upon earth upon, upon which God bestows His supreme regard. But that's the point Jesus is making here. Verse 17, again, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
His church is a very big deal to God, which is why, hold on, hold on, hold on, which is why God has had to send her storms along the way to get her back on track. You remember the story of, the, of Jesus feeding the 5,000? It's really 15,000. You throw the women in and the children in, it's 5,000 men. 15,000 plus. You remember that story? All the Gospels tell that story. It's so important. You know, it's kind of, it kind of appears like a, a little sidelight, but actually, I believe that sidelight is the highlight of the truth about the church. Let me just reflect on that story for you in John 6 here. Uh, you remember, Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, feed the, feed the people. They're hungry. <laughs> How are we going to feed them? We don't have enough money. We can't do this. And then Andrew says, hey, I got a boy with five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, bring them to me. And then Jesus proceeds, as we all know, to feed 15,000 people. Now, let's pick up the story in John 6. It's clearest in John 6. Let's pick up the story. Here's John 6. After the people, they've eaten now. Everybody's tummies are full. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, shh, shh, shh. hey, hey, listen, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This, this, this is the one. He can be our king. Jesus knowing, verse 15, that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by, by himself. Now, now, see, John leaves out all kinds of details. We have to pull the three synoptics in, and here's how the actual story happens. So Jesus finishes feeding the crowd. There starts to become, and Jesus picks it up. There is a movement to crown him king. And so Jesus immediately, and that's the word that Matthew uses, immediately says to the guys, get in that boat and say, cross this lake now. Now, leave. And then he turns to the advancing crowd, and Jesus stands before, before them, and, and Desire of Ages describes him, the kingly bearing of Jesus. And they pull to a halt, and he says, go home. The day is over. Go home now. Now, something's happening. I'll put it on the screen. Pick up the next two verses in John. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. They are ticked. They are ticked. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. What did they do? They obeyed Jesus, and they got into the boat, and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. But by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Pitch black. They're sailing across the lake. Keep going. One more text. And a strong wind comes up. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. You think about the, the mindset of the disciples. They are frustrated. They are angry. They are hurt over clearly a missed opportunity to crown their master, the deliverer of his. What were we thinking? Why did we back? We should have held the line. And the more they groused and the more they grumbled, the darker became their thoughts until finally they are sitting ducks for the evil tempter's weapon of discouragement. His favorite weapon. Desire of ages. Look at this. Desire of ages. Put it on the screen, please. Those were hours of large blessing to the disciples. Come on. 15,000 people got fed out of five loaves and two fish. What's going on? Hallelujah. Those were, those were hours of large blessing to the disciples, but they had forgotten it all. 
They were in the midst of troubled waters. And by the way, those waters are inside of them. Their thoughts were stormy and unreasonable. And the Lord gave them something else to afflict their souls and occupy their minds. Now write this in. God often, he does it in your life privately. He does it in our lives collectively. God often does this when we create burdens and troubles for ourselves. The disciples had no need to make trouble. Already danger was fast approaching, end quote. You know how the story ends. There is this explosion out of the black night and a gale force wind swamps the boat. They are fighting for their lives. They're going down to Davy Jones' locker. Desperate. And all that bickering, and all that grousing, and all the debates about which one of us is right, suddenly it's over. Now we fight for our survival. One storm, and God changed the subject. One storm, and He changed the subject. Wow. And then you remember, out of that fury, this apparition comes walking on the water, and it is the Lord Himself. Oh, we love that story. But that sidelight is really a highlight of the church. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. Apparently, that's not only a pronouncement. Apparently, that is a promise that Christ will take care of the church. He is not going to lose the church. Read my lips. He will not lose the church. He may lose you. He may lose me. He will not lose the church. Why? Because it's his body. How can you lose your body? You can't lose your body. He may lose me. He may lose you, but he will not lose the church. He will do whatever it takes. And so I can't help but think about the church when I read these. This, is, this to me is just beautiful. This is Desire of Ages. <clears throat> now, picking up Jesus on the shore, watching. Jesus had not forgotten them, the disciples in that bobbing boat. The watcher on the shore saw those fear-stricken men battling with the tempest. Not for a moment did he lose sight of his disciples. With deepest solicitude, his eyes followed the storm-tossed boat with its precious burden, for these men were to be the light of the world. He's not going to lose those men. They, they are his critical mass. He has to have them for a church. He won't lose them. He's not going to lose the church. And then I love this. As a mother in tender love watches her child... So the compassionate master watched his disciples when their hearts were subdued and their unholy ambition quelled, and in humility they prayed for help. It was given them. That key word is humility. You know why the key word is humility? Because I'm convinced I'm right and you're wrong. That's why it's the word humility. I'm convinced that I'm right and you're wrong. And only humility can break that log jam. Key word is humility. Because as it turns out, particularly in a university environment like this, it turns out that when you begin to defend a certain proposition or thesis or premise, pretty soon, if you're not careful, you aren't defending your proposition anymore. You're defending your ego. Because I have everything on this. If I lose, what kind of a scholar am I? We end up defending our pride, not our position. And that's the killer. That's all the enemy wants. Get the pride woven in. And this thing is going down to Davy Jones' locker. The church. I don't care what position you have or what your opinion is. 
What does this narrative have to do with the church in the third millennium? The words of Christ in Matthew 16 and the narrative in John 6 are a reminder that God not only cares for the church, His church. He is also prepared to intervene in the affairs of the church, His church, to do whatever it takes. He is not going to lose the church. You can build that and sink that into the rock. He will not lose the church. As I have prayed earnestly for this church that I love, I have wondered at times if the time has come to ask God to send the church a storm. Refocus us to the urgency of this hour and the mission we have been entrusted. At the Tosk meeting, listen to this, at the Tosk meeting this last Sabbath in Maryland, we broke up into small groups. That was one of the best parts of this particular week. And I had the privilege of moderating a group with my friend Jerry Moon. Denny Fortin is in our group, and Denny's the former dean here, and he's a teacher, of, uh, a professor of theology. So anyway, Denny gets a text message, and he interrupts our group. It's about 1210. He interrupts our group, and he says, listen, I just have heard from Chris in Berrien Springs. There's been a shooting at the mall. That mall was 300 yards away from our hotel. Everybody pulls their phone out, and we're all now tracking, tracking the headlines, and... And as the story unfolds, soon their helicopters all over, buses driving, disgorged SWAT team members, three people killed. And it began to occur to not a few of us that maybe the most important issues in the world today are outside the hotel and not inside the hotel. Could it be? I mean, we're not talking about rocket science here. You'd have to be a brain surgeon to just follow the trajectory. Do you know where our society is headed? Do you know where this society is going? This is happening just, it's almost, it's just like two or three times a week, correct? I'm listening to the radio after I get back this week, WBBM. They announced suicide among children is now up, climbing. An 11-year-old grabs his mother's handgun and kills himself. 11? 11? Is this where we're headed? So while we are debating, and while we are embroiled in our opinions and our convictions, and we're going to make sure one way or the other that the right vote gets taken, while we're doing that, the world is going down to Davy Jones' locker. Send a storm and save the church, oh God. Maybe that's what we ought to be praying. I take comfort in Elijah, one of my heroes from the Old Testament, who um, the prophets and kings declares he began to pray that God would send judgments if need be. That's a direct quote. He would send judgments if need be upon Israel, plunging into apostasy. Do whatever it takes. Arrest the attention of the church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I promise you. That is a promise. I'll take care of the church. Don't you worry. The church doesn't need you. 
You need the church. So we've been singing this song, and thank you, uh, singers, again, for uh, leading us in that song. I want to be more like Jesus. I'm following in His ways. Listen, when it comes to the church, now, when it comes to the church, don't you want to be like Jesus as well? When it comes to the church, don't you want to be like Jesus as well? Jot these down, and then I'll sit down. Three, there, there, there are three, three responses we can make. Then, if we want to be like Jesus when it comes to the church, let us pray for His church as He did. Let's pray for the church. That's what Jesus is doing in John 6. He's up in that mountain begging God to some, with a broken heart because it's clear the closest people on earth didn't get it. Begging God to save that little church. Let's pray for the church. Oh God, arouse the church. Send her back out into the world that dies for a lack of knowing you. Oh God. Send a storm and save the church. Pray for the church. Number two, then let us sacrifice for his church as he did. Sacrifice. If the church is the one object upon earth upon which God bestows his supreme regard, shouldn't we be willing to sacrifice our time, our means, our very lives for the body of Christ? Well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to college right now. I'm in the university. I don't have time for the church. Wrong. You have to have time for the church. It is the ark that God has sent to carry you to the final storm ahead. And then number three, let us unite his church as he did. You know, I wonder sometimes how muted our debating would become if we were joined together in sacrificing for the church of Christ. Maybe this, maybe the, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so intense. I love this quote. Put it on the screen for you from the little book, Ye Shall Receive Power. Let all who believe the truth for this time put away their differences, put away envy, put away evil speaking about somebody else because that somebody else doesn't agree with you. Put that speaking away. Don't even keep quoting these stories. Quit telling the stories. Put away envy, put away evil speaking, Put away evil thinking. How do you know his motives? How do you know her motives? How can you, how can you sit in judgment? Oh, Christian, Paul says, you are under the very judgment you pass. Why should we do this? Put away envy. Put away evil speaking. Put away evil thinking. And then I love this. Press together. Press together. Come on. Press together. Please, press together. Some of you are leaders. There are a whole bunch of you in this room right now who are leaders. It'll take your initiative. I just, I believe it will take your initiative, even at the sacrifice of a cause that you have embraced, it will take your initiative to press together. You can't wait for somebody to come to you. You press together. Jesus loves the church. He's not going to lose the church. Don't worry. Press together. You know, one of the, one of the great premises of our grow groups here in this little campus in congregation, and we've got grow groups on the campus now, one of the big deals about the grow groups is that they are all about pressing together. I mean, 10, 15 to 20 people in a little group with the same interest. They're pressing together. 
Why? Because that's important to do. You can't press together in a large worship service like this. You've got to press together when you're, when you're in a smaller community of disciples. These are all people who love Jesus. They're stumbling like I am, but they still love Jesus. Press together like the disciples. You're not right about everything. Press together. That's what the grow groups are about. You know, it's a deepening spiritually. Now, I hate to use this word because people misunderstand it, but they're fun. I mean, can spiritual things be fun? Yeah, they're fun. Stuff happens. So I go through this grow group. Look at, look at this little catalog. Last time it's in your, in your worship bulletin. So here's this catalog, and I'm going through it uh, uh, at the end of this week, and I said, okay, what are the groups in here? And I, I come across a group for budding magicians. There's no hocus pocus, but they're going to do some, how you can make gospel lessons by learning magic. There's a group of, backed by popular demand, racquetball. There's another group, what's this one? Multicultural vegan cooking. They have a group called Puzzle Makers. In the period of 10 weeks, they're going to put a thousand-piece puzzle together, and I'm going to tell you right now, they'll never do it. <laughs> I have a thousand-piece puzzle sitting one-fourth completed in my house for the last six weeks. They will not do it in 10. You can join the group and try to help them, but it won't help. Anyway, that's their, that's their, hey, they, I love puzzles. I, I got to join that group. Here's another group that I thought was very interesting. Lions, leopards, and bears, oh my. I mean, that's the whole title. Lions, leopards, and bears, oh my. What's it about? It's, a, it's Daniel. The group is going to study their prophecies in Daniel. They're going to have a great time. They're going to have parties because one night has to be a party. They're going to have a service project because one day has to be a service project. They're going to have fun together. That's the point. Discipleship 101. Discipleship 201. And by the way, next semester we're going to be able to offer Discipleship 301. When you do all three, it's how to become a radical disciple of Jesus. Sign up for one of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sign up. Wow. And by the way, you want the perfect antidote for a cold, bleak winter? Hang around some friends. Come on, sign up. So anyway, so here's the deal. The sign up is open for just a few more days. One step, one touch, Registration. Go online. There's a little, there should be a little uh, 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 website address on the end of your study guide. So go online. One step, one touch, boom, you're, you're registered. We'll send a note. A note will come from the leader saying, hey, come join us. They're meeting all over campus in the community. So be, why not? Press together. Press together. I will build my church. Jesus declares red letters and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Not when we are united. In fact, I was typing that very sentence. At the, on my laptop, moving to the Antarctica. Not when we are united, and I made a typographical error, and I said, whoa, that might be instructive. Because instead of writing united, I wrote untied. But ladies and gentlemen, the word united is the word untied. It's just the letters rearranged. Hey, wait a minute. Could it be that when you and I are willing to become untied, untied from our egos, untied from our positions, untied from where we have taken a stand, could it be that in get becoming untied, the letters rearranged, and that's the secret to being united? Could it be, put it up the last slide, that untied is the way God gets to united? That's how Jesus grows the church, untied, and when we're untied, united. And that's what I want for me. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Don't you want to be like Jesus? I want to end with an appeal right now. It's not the connect card. I want to end with an Hi, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. Currently, Pioneer is recording the programs at this website on 15-year-old analog cameras. Over the years, as the television standards have changed, we've adapted our cameras to the new standards. However, 
we're at the point now of no longer being able to cobble these cameras together. The reason? Because of the television industry's shift to high definition. As you can see, this camera is actually using parts from two separate cameras. In fact, we have some camera operators now who are younger than these cameras. The new high definition standard, or HD, is four times the resolution of our current cameras and employs the industry standard widescreen format. The sensors in these cameras are just not capable of producing that level of picture quality. New cameras are a huge investment for our small ministry, but we feel it's something that needs to be done as some of our major broadcast partners are now planning to shift to this standard. So I'm asking if you'd be willing to help. If the Spirit puts it on your heart, would you be willing to give some extra support to this ministry? Through your gifts, multiplied, I believe, exponentially by God's power, we can reach this end-time generation. So look, the process is simple. Just click on the link there on the website that says, Make a Donation. You can give a single gift, or if you'd like to support us long-term, you can make that gift happen each month. If you'd rather speak with someone instead of using this uh, website, that's fine. Call our friendly operator's toll-free number. Let me put it on the screen here, 877, and the, the two words, His Will, 877-HIS-WILL. And by the way, not a single dollar donated to this ministry or this project goes to me. Your gift will go straight to our mission. Thank you for your support. And as always, I hope I'll see you back here again at this site.